0: more in you of good than you know child of the kindly west some courage and some wisdom blended in measure if more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold it would be a merrier world
1: Hello, you are listening to Watch Party, Lord of the Rings on Prime, the show where we discuss all things Tolkien in anticipation of Amazon's big budget adaptation of the Legendarium. If you like what we're doing here on Watch Party, Lord of the Rings on Prime, please subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to us, uh, well, follow us on Twitter, uh, our newly created Twitter page. Woohoo! That just shows you how much I use Twitter, that I just told you to subscribe to our Twitter. Um, but, uh, we are at L O T R party and, uh, we'd love to, I don't know, tweet at you to Twitter twatter at you. Boy, this is chirp, chirp, tweet, tweet. <laughs> <laughs> I am here with your host, Jen Gallagher, AKA Eowyn shield maiden of Rohan.
0: Woo! And I'd like for you to welcome my co-host, BRN the Skin Changer, also known as Michael Roland.
1: Oh, my favorite.
0: Yes, today on our show we will be discussing the 1977 Rankin Bass animated adaptation of the Hobbit film. Get ready, folks.
1: And I think, Jen, we got something to i think we got something to celebrate today.
0: We absolutely have something to celebrate. We are celebrating Breaking 100 downloads um, on our Podbean website. So thank you to all who've listened to us. I'm cracking a beer right now, in uh, in honor of that, breaking that, smashing that statistic. Super exciting, and um, it's just fun to know that there's people out there who hopefully are enjoying this content, and we certainly have a great time making it. So glad you're glad you're here for the journey.
1: Yeah, I mean, 100 may not be the biggest number, but small victories lead to big victories. And uh, frankly, if no one was listening, I'd be still, I'd still be having a great time doing this podcast. So it is just uh, uh, so much fun to know that there's other folks out there enjoying what we're doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this movie, holy cow, what we're doing right now, what we're talking about today, this was a blast uh, to watch this movie. And Michael's going to tell us a little bit uh, more about this particular Hobbit film that we're going to watch, Where we're going to uh, talk about today.
1: But before we get into that, we have a very brief fact check. This is another pronunciation update. I have a feeling this is going to be uh, a regular segment on the show, uh, continue, considering how important pronunciation and words and languages in the Legendarium. Uh, in the, I think each of the past two episodes, I have referred frequently to the uh, Valar Aule. And I have mispronounced his name. I've called him Aeul. He is the Valar, one of the um, primary Valar. He's uh, the Valar of Smithcraft. And I was mispronouncing his name as Aeul. It is Aule. So I will make sure to pronounce that correctly going forward. But yeah, today we are talking about uh an old movie, 1977. Um, and we're really getting into the core of what this, our podcast is about, you know, watching, we're, we're getting ready to watch the show, which isn't yet released. So now we're going back and watching all the other adaptations, you know, starting with the 1977 animated adaptation. Um, and this was one that I grew up with. Uh, I, I can't remember when I first watched it, but I, I watched it a number of times when I was a kid. It was the movie that first implanted all the imagery for the Lord of the Rings in my head, which, as we'll talk about later, I think is kind of funny because a lot of the art isn't really consistent with um, the descriptions in the legendarium in the Lord of the Rings in The Hobbit. But nonetheless, the images in this version are the images that were always in my mind, uh, and it was always a lot of fun. I really loved it. Um, this adaptation uh, was developed by Rankin Bass, 1977. It was an animated musical adaptation. It was made for television, originally broadcast by NBC. Now, with a runtime of uh, one hour and 18 minutes, including credits, uh, the adaptation takes us to the Lonely Mountain and back at, at lightning speed. It just blasts through all the different segments. Um, it's a wild it's, ride. It's 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 a very wild ride, and you know they make some tough cuts. Uh, cutting out some of our favorite parts, um, uh, just steamrolling over some segments, but uh, you know it gets, to the, it, gets, it gets to the end pretty quickly. Now, Bilbo was voiced by Orson Bean, who was an actor that appeared in a variety of television shows over the years. And uh, I think Orson Bean did, did a great job of voicing Bilbo. He's not particularly famous for a lot of other things, but he was just sort of a journeyman actor um, from what I can tell online. Interestingly, he was briefly blacklisted in the 50s and 60s because he once attended a communist party meeting. So uh, a a, a little bit of history, you know, Bilbo is a communist. I'll just, I'll just say (laughs) it. Uh, Gandalf was voiced by John Huston, who is a recognizable movie star. If you Google him, you'll probably recognize his face. Um, He appeared in a lot of major hits and he's most famous actually for writing and directing several classic films, including the Maltese Falcon, the African Queen, and the man who would be king to name a few. Uh, and I think John Huston's vocal performance of Gandalf is one of the highlights of of this film. I think he does a really great job. Really a, a iconic voice. I mean, it's hard to it's hard now to imagine Gandalf as being anybody other than Sir Ian McKellen.
0: Oh, but Ian McKellen is he's the reigning Gandalf.
1: Ab- absolutely. Um, but you know, John Huston was uh, the OG. He came before Sir Ian McKellen, and he he certainly made his mark on the character. Now, although the uh, All of the music in the film is primarily adapted straight from Tolkien's original poems in the book uh, with the exception of one song, and that is the theme song, which is an original composition called The Greatest Adventure. The
0: Greatest Adventure. Just a little little tasty morsel for you there, a (laughs) little sampling.
1: It's so good. It's so I love.
0: Good. I I have to interrupt and say I love the music in this movie. It's just, but it's kind of my thing. I mean, I'm a folk musician. Michael actually is a musician as well. But I just I think it's so much fun, and I love that stylistically. This is a period film because of this music, part totally. in part. You know, but this the music is just. It's really adds so much levity and um, playfulness, but also um, a different layer. I mean, it's a musical. We don't get this in any of the other adaptations. And so I, I love the music in this. I'm, I'm here for it, Michael.
1: Yeah, and I, so I love the music as well. I never really liked "The Greatest Adventure." I'll be honest. Of all the songs, that was like my oh. least favorite, because it just you know it's, it's all
0: a, throughout too. It's, it's I know the it pops up. It is
1: the theme song. It's the main it theme. It's the theme song because um, it's kind of a you know, like you said, this is uh it's a it's a period movie, so the music is very. 1970s it's got a folksy vibe very
0: peter paul and mary
1: yes yeah i mean i listened to it i was like is this john denver you know it felt like john denver to me and i love john denver don't get me wrong but um it doesn't quite sync up with the lord of the rings in my mind even when i was a kid i was like this is kind of funky but it's it's it is a good song on its own merits it's sung by Uh, Glenn Yarborough, who actually was a prolific folk singer and guitarist, uh, who was a lead singer of the Limelighters in the 60s. I think most folks probably don't know who the Limelighters are now, but they were a hugely popular um, uh, folk singing group um, with a number of different, they had rotating cast members. uh, But Glenn Yarborough was a lead singer for several years. um, And I Raise that just to point out that they actually had some big names. I mean, John Huston is a big name. Glenn Yarborough was a big musician. Uh, the Limelighters were very famous at the time, so um, this wasn't some you know low budget rinky dink uh, and anim- uh, animated adaptation. They took this very seriously, and they got some real talent to contribute.
0: It also had a pretty big budget, as I understand.
1: I think you're. I think you're right about that. I don't know the numbers, but is uh, I want to say. $3 million I saw on yeah, Wikipedia somewhere. Yeah, $3
0: mil. Yeah.
1: Which, Not I, shabby
0: know. for the 70s, especially.
1: Yeah. What is that, like $10 billion in, in today's money?
0: $10 billion. <laughs> yeah.
1: But uh, the film won a Peabody Award, in fact, and it was nominated for the Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation, uh, and it only lost to Star Wars. So it actually had some pretty heady company, got some nominations for awards. So um, it is definitely an adaptation that's worth checking out.
0: Yeah, they did a lot right. I mean, we have our criticisms, as you will hear. But I think overall, it's a pretty fair adaptation. And they they definitely kept a lot of the original book in this movie, which is what I like about it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think what we're going to do is we're just going to take it scene by scene, uh, talk through the plot, the, the different plot points. And and you know we'll bring up what we like, what we didn't like, um, what they changed from the book. And uh, Jen, why don't you kick us off? How does the movie start?
0: Okay, so chapter one, which in the book is an unexpected party, this is the very first scene in the film. Uh, we're introduced by the narrator to hobbits and their hobbit holes, and the narration that they use just comes straight from the book. So it's a it's a it's a narrator voice, and um, we we are introduced to hobbits and their hobbit hold, which of course is the most recognizable symbol of this series. And um, the word the author uses to describe these hobbit holes is comfort, which is a very apt word uh, for hobbiton. It's also a description of our main character bilbo his simple and uncomplicated life and his preference for all things comfortable so our main character bilbo's tranquility is interrupted by the wizard gandalf who claims he is looking for someone to share in an adventure he is arranging Uh, bilbo is of course immediately reluctant and continues to be throughout the story even though we witness him undergo quite the transformation from a creature of leisure to a brave hero figure towards the end of the novel
1: adventures Uh, are nasty things make you late for dinner
0: Exactly. So that's, that's a quote from the movie. Um, But Gandalf, he doesn't really take no for an answer. And um, the dwarves in the movie version pop out from the bushes um, and kind of spring themselves on Bilbo, where they go into his house and they nearly eat him out of house and home um, while kind of singing this, this mocking song, you know, smash the dishes, that kind of thing. They're kind of mocking Bilbo because he's just this kind of a little fuddy-duddy um so the Smash the, the dwarfs, dishes
1: nick the plates that's what Bilbo Baggins, Bilbo Baggins
0: hates <laughs> yeah so they're singing this song and they're kind of poking fun at Bilbo because he's kind of he's overwhelmed there's all these dwarves suddenly in his kitchen and um after they have a meal they sit down and they're discussing their plans um their plans for their journey so they actually include this poem in song form straight from the book and a little sampling is far over the misty mountains grim to dungeons deep and caverns dim we must away ere break of day to win our harps and gold from him So they're, they're talking about uh, their plans to reclaim their stolen treasure from a dragon who's uh, killed their kin and claim the treasure for his own. So they want to march back to uh, smog the dragon's lair and get reclaim this treasure and it comes to light that Gandalf is hoping that Bilbo will be part of this journey and be the burglar on this mission alongside the dwarves. So Bilbo nearly faints with fear; he swoons in this scene at the prospect of this adventure. But uh, his Tookish side, or the more adventurous side of his heritage, starts to kind of awaken and stir, and his interests are piqued. Um, and and uh, and that's kind of where the first scene ends. So a couple differences, you know, between this scene and the book are um, that the dwarves actually, in the book, show up the very next day. Gandalf puts a marker on Bilbo's door, and that's how the dwarves um, kind of come and, and find Bilbo. And um, also, Gandalf is a little more frightening in this, in this scene. Uh, I am Gandalf! There's like this really intense uh, scene with him kind of becoming angry at Bilbo. Um, and it introduces
1: difference. it. It introduces the sort of uh, musical theme for Gandalf, which is kind of like an ominous theme. It's like there's like a, it is. It's like a, they're hitting a triangle. And it's like but like in a more ominous way than I just did it. But uh, you know, it almost sets him up as an ominous character. Uh, if you're you know using the musical notes or musical themes to indicate you know what. Uh, role the character occupies it almost sets him up as an ominous character because it is kind of an ominous theme
0: yeah he's a little bit more um intensely frightening in this adaptation than he is like the sort of uh cheeky well we we do get different flavors of gandalf but i think that in this one there's more moments of bilbo actually being a little bit frightened of gandalf um but i I, overall i thought this scene was really well done i love that they incorporated so much of the poetry right off the bat we get the songs in there we get the dwarves singing Um, so i didn't i didn't i thought this was well done this scene
1: yeah, I agree. Uh, one thing that I really like is the very first opening scene is a picture of a book, you know, uh, of words on a page. So it, it starts us off as if we're reading from the Red Book of uh, Westmarch, right? Um, I think that's right. how it's it said. And so it kind of immediately ties us into that. And, and then the second image is of a map. So we immediately see the map and it's the same map that you get in the actual Hobbit book. And so they, they start right away with maps, which maps are really important in the story um, proper, but also in the way Tolkien liked to um, write his stories. There's maps in, you know, in the Lord of the Rings, in the Hobbit, uh, lots of different maps. And so it's kind of fun to look at those. So I'm glad they start right away by just giving us images of the book and maps. I, I really like that.
0: Yeah. And I like that the, the entire intro is just straight from the book, you know, from, from the very first, um, you know the most iconic line in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit not a nasty dirty wet hole filled with ends of worms and an oozy smell nor yet a dry bare sandy hole with nothing in it to sit down on it or eat it was a hobbit hole and that means comfort i mean they take it straight from the book and so immediately it sets us up to know that they're going to retain a lot of the spirit of the book and a lot of fealty for the book so so 10 out of 10 for this scene for me
1: So one thing that I missed is, you know, I understand why they cut it. You know, you mentioned that they tweaked it a little bit so that, you know, in the book, Gandalf has this initial meeting with Bilbo, you know, says, do you want to go on an adventure? And, you know, Bilbo says, no, uh, good morning, you know, takes off. And then Bilbo scratches something on the door and comes back later. um, and, And the dwarves come at a later time. Here they just compress it. Gandalf just shows up and the dwarves are basically with him in that moment. I kind of miss the the book version because it's a very humorous way for Bilbo to meet the dwarves. You know he's he's getting all cozy, he's making his uh, you know making his meal, he's settling down, and then there's a knock on the door, and it's a dwarf, and the dwarf just comes in as if he's expected, and Bilbo gets gets flustered, and of course because he's overly hospitable, he invites him in this total stranger, and then one by one, basically the the dwarves keep coming in and bilbo's getting more and more flustered and it's a really comedic (laughs) progression you know and it's basically all of a sudden before he knows it bilbo has 13 dwarves in his house that somehow he didn't at no point did he think to say i don't know any of you people like get out of here but because they they came in one at a time um he he never had the wherewithal to to say no i always liked that introduction to the dwarves it was very comedic yeah I, i missed it here
0: I, I do like that introduction. I do think it's comical. I think there's more egregious cuts. And I, I think they wanted to do what I think should be done with this with this adaptation is make it one movie. So, you know, it, I, I think it was intended to be a children's movie, one movie, and we got to keep it moving. Um, so I didn't I didn't hate that they cut it. I do think that is a funny scene in the book. Um, but I see why why it had to go. What I do think is really funny is that right off the bat, and I forgot to mention this, is that um, at, while the dwarves are singing their song about the misty mountain and reclaiming their treasure, um, Gandalf is smoking his pipe and he's he talks about the music that they're singing and he says there's magic in that music mm-hmm. and Bilbo says and it moves through me and you feel the love of beautiful things which I thought was so so that's not from the book that is straight from the movie it's like a very hippy dippy. like okay this is the 1970s hobbit here
1: Right. But it does it's hit very, on like- something like a, a concept that is raised in the book, which is that the the song of the dwarves does inspire something in Bilbo. I mean, it's it's the song, probably more than anything, that makes him feel like for a moment that he wants to go and that maybe he's up for this and maybe he wants something more than his comfortable hobbit hole. It is and there is a magic in that song. And that even though the Hobbit is in many ways not disconnected, but very different. In style and theme and tone from the Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion, the connection to song and the magical power of songs is still very much present in The Hobbit. And this is the first taste we get of it in the books. And I'm glad that they kept it in and highlighted it in the adaptation.
0: Yeah, so true. It's, it's a powerful force throughout this entire uh, film. And, and you're right in that it is the first time that Bilbo feels a call to anything other than being very comfortable in his little hobbit hole. So very important right. for that reason.
1: One thing that kind of irked me, and this is the the only change in this first scene that I didn't like, is the way it ended. So in the book, you know, he um, he does have that moment where something stirs inside him, and he thinks maybe he wants to go. But you know, by the end of the night, you know, he he has a conniption fit. A he, he freaks out and you know squeals and faints because he can't handle the the stress of the notion of going on an adventure to to slay a dragon. It freaks him out. Um, And he basically, you know, passes out uh, and he wakes up the next morning and no one's there. The whole place is cleaned up. The contract's on the mantelpiece. But, uh, he, you know, he he almost thinks to himself, boy, it's almost as if it was just a bad dream. And uh, maybe they've forgotten about me, and I can just forget about this whole thing. And he actually starts settling down, makes making himself some cakes, and he's not going to go. In the book, he's he's not going to go until Gandalf comes back. Yeah, (laughs) you know, he 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 gets right back into his old comfy ways, and he's happy to not go on this adventure. He's relieved, Um, you know. I think there's a moment in the book where he's also a little sad at the thought, but he's like, he's relieved until Gandalf comes in. He's like, what are you doing? You're late. And basically, you know, pokes him with a cattle prod and then Bilbo runs out the door, doesn't have time to pack all of his stuff, doesn't even have a handkerchief. And uh, that is a very iconic sequence. And it's not just iconic. I think it's important to his character that mm-hmm. he starts this hero's journey at, you know, basically his lowest ebb in terms of courage. He doesn't want to go. He's not yeah. up for it. There's maybe something inside of him that was stirred by that song, but ultimately he doesn't yet have the courage to go. He doesn't want to go. And it's Gandalf right. who, who makes kind of makes him go. In he this movie. It upon him. Um, you know, he, he does have this dream where he imagines himself as being king under the mountain. And he goes outside and he looks at the moon and he's, it indicates that he's like, oh yeah, I'm up for this. I'm ready for this adventure. And he's sort of happily going. So by excising that whole part of, about him, you know, waking up in the morning and being relieved and not wanting to go, I think it um, starts us off on the wrong foot because his hero's journey should start with him not wanting to go and not having the courage to go because then we can see his development over the course of the story, you know, his growth into a more courageous character. So I think that change is actually kind of important.
0: Yeah, that is significant. Bilbo, as we're going to see, he's the ever-reluctant hero. I mean, even he throughout the entire thing, he is the reluctant hero. And he's constantly warring between two sides, which are his Tookish side um, and his more... You know, conservative side. So the Tookish, Took-ish adventurer is constantly uh, pushing him to do and and be more and and be bolder, um, but he's always pushing back. And he's fantasizing about his comfortable life throughout the entire journey. Um, so yeah, that's that's a good point, and I do think um, they could have highlighted that a little bit more. They could have highlighted the the inner struggle, Bilbo's inner struggle, a bit more than they did, um, because that's very prevalent throughout.
1: But on the whole, I agree with you. This is a good introductory scene. Does a good job introducing our characters. Um, also gives us the backstory about the King of the Mountain and Smog. I really actually like that sequence, and um, it, that actually is set. It's it's delivered in meter, so it um, you know Gandalf is telling the story, and it's a very compelling I think uh, recount of that history. I, I, I like how they did all that. So all in all, uh, a good starting sequence. Um, Now, after Bilbo departs in the morning with his newfound companions, it does not take too long before he's again grumbling about the lack of comfort. He says, quote, no hat, no stick, no pipe, not even a pocket handkerchief. How can one survive?
0: No pocket handkerchief. Oh, dear. Uh,
1: Apparently, he's just got a big, you know, booger problem. And I don't know how he he needs a handkerchief to deal with it. Um, And at some point, of course, Gandalf leaves the group because, you know, wizards do what they want. And Bilbo and the dwarves find themselves cold and wet in a rainstorm, looking for shelter. Uh, Balin spies uh, a fire in the distance with three very large trolls roasting mutton, and uh, they hear them complaining and of course, you know, vulgar, trollish, unrefined language about, you know, how long it's been since they had had some nice man flesh, um, and how <laughs> sick they are of of roasted mutton. But Thorin quickly decides, hey, we could use some of that mutton. And so he says, hey, this is the right moment to put our burglar to the test. And he quite literally pushes Bilbo towards the trolls to steal some of their meat. And he actually says, burglar, do your burgling, which is a line I just find really funny for some reason. Um, but so Bilbo, not too happy about being told that his burgling job now involves going to steal meat from trolls, which seems like an insane job. Um He starts walking up and it takes about five seconds before the trolls spot Bilbo and pick him up. Uh, Not a good start to his burgling career. But the trolls, disappointed in his size, uh, bemoan that he wouldn't make more of a mouthful. But they wonder, are there any more of him around? And then Bilbo, when he hears that, for some reason, totally unprompted, he gives up that he's with a company of dwarves um, and, and he yells, dwarves, I'm done for, run for it. The trolls, hearing this news that there are dwarves around, look around and immediately capture all the dwarves. Uh, I just think that's hilarious that, you know, Bilbo totally didn't have to say that. He could have kept his mouth shut and they never would have found the dwarves. But um, he gave them up. Yeah, he doesn't p- do that in the book. Yeah. Right, right. Well, right, exactly. Um, so the trolls capture all the dwarves. And uh, start debating about how to prepare their new meal. Should we roast them, boil them, eat them raw? Uh, and Gandalf returns, and in a moment of wizarding magic, he brings the dawn and uh, the light of the um, the sun turns the trolls to stone. And so the group then explores the troll horde that Bilbo found. And uh, this is an important thing, also. So actually, I missed, I forgot this part. So when Bilbo says, "Dwarves make a run for it." The trolls drop Bilbo and go after the dwarves, and Bilbo runs away. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he runs away, uh, apparently, into Run the troll away. horde. So after Gandalf saves them, uh, Thorin says, where is that stupid burglar? And Bilbo says, hey, Kate, come look and see what I found. And there's a big troll horde, and they search through the troll horde, find uh, a bunch of treasure, and Gandalf and Thorin find the swords Orchrist and Glamdring. Bilbo finds uh, his famous Blade Sting, although at this point they don't yet know their names. And it's also in the Troll Cave at this time that Gandalf for the first time reveals he has a map of the Lonely Mountain, and he gives it, uh, which was given to him by Thorin's father. Bilbo sees the map, and he loves maps, so he goes and takes a look at it. He notices the hand pointing to the hidden door, but the map doesn't reveal where the hidden door is. So Gandalf very unhelpfully says, uh, well... Well, uh Bilbo complains that it doesn't reveal where the hidden door is, and Gandalf says, "Oh, it does, and it doesn't and Bilbo' like, "Huh, And that's the end of this scene, <laughs> Gandalf being just truly cryptic,
0: very cryptic, yeah, I mean, I thought this scene was was pretty well done. It's not that long of a of a chapter, and so I thought they did a good job with the with the trolls. They're kind of supposed to be like dum-dums trolls aren't super intelligent and in the book it's more of a to-do gandalf kind of rescues them and confuses the dwarves and uh they they left all this out which i think is is fine because um it's not like i said it's not a long scene i don't think it's ultimately um crucial that that important to the the overall plot so i thought that the scene was was fine was charming and um, you know, got the map and these different important things accomplished what it needed to accomplish.
1: Yeah, it is one of the more just enjoyable scenes, uh, and it's the first adventure they encounter, and I think it's done well, but i I do disagree with you uh about the the their decision to make it so Bilbo had no part in saving the dwarves. I think that's important because the way it, it's set up in the movie, the trolls drop Bilbo and he runs away you know no courage he 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 runs away and he has no role in saving the dwarves whatsoever it's just gandalf who comes in and they make it seem like he literally makes the sun rise in order to turn the trolls to stone and um that's not what happens in the book of course in the book bilbo um actually is it bilbo or is it gandalf who is it's it's, Ga- it's, Gan- it's, gandalf. it's is gandalf is it is bilbo doing anything in the book
0: i don't recall Bilbo doing much. I mean, maybe that's something next week in our fact check. We can, we can look. I don't know that he runs away, but I, I think it is primarily Gandalf that rescues the dwarves um, by, you know, feigning their voices and impersonating them and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that one. We'll
1: okay, I, th- I think you're right because in my in my memory, I was thinking that it was Bilbo who was assisting with confusing the trolls, but you're totally right. It wasn't. It was Gandalf. And so I guess that cut doesn't make that much of a difference. Um, but, you know, I don't like that they make out to be such a coward right off the bat. Because um, even though he is not courageous, he's not a coward, you know, he has some honor that shows up throughout the throughout all the scenes. But yeah, this is a pretty short one. They go, they really quickly get turned to stone and uh, move on to the next, um, the next adventure.
0: Right. So I'm going to jump now to chapter three. So at the very end of that scene, uh, the band of travelers arrives at the city of Rivendell for a bit of R&R. So they're greeted upon arrival while they're marching down to Rivendell by the playful Elven song, which is sung in the background. We hear it in the background. In the book, it's sung by the elves themselves. And uh, Bilbo finds this very enchanting in the book. Uh, but we do get it in the background of this scene and i'm so glad they incorporated it i love it Uh, here's a little bit of poetry from the movie and the book oh will you be staying or will you be flying your ponies are straying the daylight is dying to fly would be folly to stay would be jolly and listen and hark till the end of dark So we we get this this delightful piece of song slash poetry from the elves of Rivendell and you might notice right off the bat that this is like a very light hearted fun poem so the elves of Rivendell are actually quite jolly and playful. Uh, which you definitely don't get in some of the movie adaptations, and even this adaptation. So they, the readers and the watchers, are introduced to Elrond in this adaptation, who is sporting a very trippy headpiece <laughs> <laughs> of floating lights, um, who's very serious and has a very, um, very proper accent, uh, very elevated. But um, he offers the dwarves and Bilbo hospitality and he also identifies the swords that the hobbits have acquired from the trolls and he translates the moon letters on the dwarves map which reads stand by the gray stone when the thrush knocks and the setting sun with the last light of durin's day will shine upon the keyhole so um it's 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 uh it's a it's a relatively short scene i do wish we would have gotten like i said more of the elves um kind of singing and doing their thing but we do get a little glimpse of Elrond and he helps them out shows them hospitality and they're able to kind of rest for a time before they set on the merry way
1: yeah absolutely one thing that cracks me up about this sequence is so you know Rivendell one of its other subnames is you know the last homely house it's referred to as the Last Homely House, and the way it's depicted in the movie, it literally looks like just a house. It looks like a cabin in the woods. It, you know, it does not at all look like a beautiful, enchanting uh, center of you know uh, like the Elvish capital of the world, which it basically is at that point. It just looks right. like uh, a cabin up in uh, you know Payson, Arizona, or something.
0: Yeah, snug, snug little cabin. It's uh, certainly not the Rivendell of the Lord of the Rings adaptations, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Not at all. I, the, the song of the elves also cracks me up. It is totally consistent with the books. I mean, like you said, it pulls directly from the poetry in the uh, book itself, but the version of the elves that we get in the Hobbit totally different from the version of the elves that we get in the Silmarillion or the Lord of the Rings, you know, where they're they're far more serious. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at the time that he wrote the Hobbit too, I mean, he'd obviously been working on the Silmarillion for a long time. So it's not like he didn't have, a conception of what his elves were like. I think he deliberately made the elves more um, elfish, you know, um, and more. uh, Wily. Yeah. Yeah. Fun, childlike. I mean, the the elves are almost like children, you know, they're much more playful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The songs aren't complex or deep or anything like that. And actually, all the songs by the dwarves in The Hobbit are far more serious and, you know, I guess magical than the songs of the elves, which are just playful little ditties where they're kind of mocking the dwarves for their long beards, you know? Uh, Yeah, we don't
0: get any of the playfulness of elves in, in any of the adaptations, which is a shame. Like, they are very wise and dignified creatures, but I think I mentioned this last time, but regionally they're very different. So the elves of Rivendell are certainly... Um, very jovial, very playful, and it makes sense. They live in a, a place that's supposed to be very peaceful. It's a refuge for people. It's a place where they they sing, they gather, they rest, they make merry. So, um, I was hoping for a, a closer look at these these elves, but we we really didn't get them. We only get Elrond and his uh, trippy headpiece, real briefly. It's a br- this is a brief scene, so that's yeah. that's pretty much all we get.
1: They fast forward right through Rivendell, basically. And then the next scene, we get there in the mountains in a rainstorm. Um, the dwarves and Bilbo find a and Gandalf uh, find a dry cave to rest in for the night. Now, you know, Bilbo is thinking to himself how uncomfortable the cave is compared to the hobbit hole. When all of a sudden he notices that the wall of the cave moves and starts to give way, and then he notices that the ponies start getting dragged away. And so at this point, Bilbo yells to the dwarves that they are being robbed. Thorn then yells, quote, the goblins are upon us. Save the ponies from the goblins. And then they all run after the ponies and then immediately find themselves trapped and surrounded by goblins. Probably not a good move if you know that the goblins are there stealing your ponies to then run into their cave and get locked in. Not a good strategic move. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, the goblins put the dwarves in chains uh, to the music of Down Down to Goblin Town, which is one of my favorite uh, musical adaptations of the poetry from the book and the goblins bring them before the great goblin Thorin tries to explain to the great goblin, we didn't mean to trespass. We're only passing through Uh, a remarkably civil conversation, given what we know from the Lord of the Rings and the appendices that there's a huge enmity between the dwarves and the orcs and there's all these wars, but you know, the dialogue in the book and in the movie Thorin at first is just like, Oh, we're sorry. You know, didn't mean to bother you as if they're orcs or normal people, which I, also thought was just kind of funny um but once the great goblin sees Orcrist, the goblin cleaver the great goblin loses his shit and rushes at thorin <laughs> <laughs> and it, i would say he rushes he more kind of like meanders he doesn't go that fast lumbers and he looks, yeah he lumbers like i don't know like uh you know a great ant kind of lumbering towards you. I don't, you know, but, but he gets close to Thorin, opens his mouth wide as if to eat Thorin's head. But at that moment, mm-hmm. Gandalf yells, Stop! Snuffs out the fire, stuns all the goblins with a blinding light from Glamdring. And just as the great goblin yells out that he recognizes the sword as Glamdring the foe hammer, he is struck down by it. Gandalf leads them out of the cave with the goblins in hot pursuit. Bombers carrying Bilbo but Bilbo gets knocked off and falls into what looks like a massive chasm. And uh, we'll just, we'll just stop there. And uh, Jen, what did you think about this scene?
0: Yeah, I think I'm glad we got to see the goblin king. You know, that's a pretty, um, pretty important part of the story, just entering into the goblin caves because the killing of the goblin king is what sort of ticks off all the goblins. And it's the reason that they pursue the dwarves and rally the wargs as well. Later, so that they all are hunting them down and chase them up the trees, where they're subsequently rescued. So um, it's a pretty important part, and I think that this scene was was well done. Um, we get to see the sort of the real big bad guys of this uh, of this book slash movie. Other than Smaug the dragon, are the the goblins. Uh, they're the more intelligent foes that we get um, in the in the book in the movie.
1: So oh, yeah, well, it's I thought not, it... not always associated with intelligence, but uh...
0: goblins. they they're their goblins. If
1: goblins. there's a difference, I don't think I, I don't know if there's a difference. There's some debate about that. Um... There's
0: some debate. Okay.
1: Yeah, Well, they're
0: certainly, they have a degree of intelligence. I mean, they have song and definitely um, they have poetry and song and culture. They actually have culture. They have their own language. Um, So I I think they're supposed to be obviously rough around the edges and and evil and all that kind of thing. But I think they are not unintelligent.
1: Right. Well, and uh, orcs and goblins, they're always uh, described as being very, very clever, right? I mean, this is one of the things Tolkien links orcs. Um, to being uh, very clever in terms of creating machines, machines of death, right? You know, uh, he even makes a reference in the book. It doesn't show up in the movie, but that, um, you know, it might be these evil orcs and trolls who are responsible for the machines of mass destruction, sort of a reference to our modern times. And remember that The Hobbit was released in the 30s. So after World War One, when we first saw the first um, warfare that involved, you know, bombs and... Uh, you know, mass destruction. So he was kind of, you know, winking towards the modern times when he made that reference in the book. So orcs uh, definitely have some intelligence, just uh, no wisdom. So, you know, a lot of cleverness, but uh, none of the, you know, humanity or goodness to go along with it. Mm. But uh, this is definitely one of the, actually one of the sections in the movie that I like the best. Um, I love the the song, you know, going down to the Town, down, down, going down to the go- it's know, very
0: it's
1: catchy, super catchy. It's got this like frenetic drum part. It's really up tempo, um, and it's it's kind of funny. I think we both like the music in this adaptation, but it mm-hmm. is a little bit more modern. And just last week, we were talking about how modern music takes us out of the Lord of the Rings universe, but in an animated version, I it's it, I, it I don't mind that
0: exactly. It's a children's film and book. You know so for some reason that just changes the whole calculus for me,
1: yeah, because I'm already yeah, in that mindset, right? Right, right. So, you know, it's got drums, um, it's really, it's really up tempo and, and, and frenetic, but I really like it. I love the music there. Um, I, I, the goblins in The Hobbit they look totally different from the way orcs are portrayed in Lord of the Rings and, and in basically every drawing ever. I mean, these look nothing like the orcs we've come to know and hate. They're giant, like almost like giant frogs. They're really broad, huge heads. Uh, a totally different look.
0: Yeah, freaky looking. That's for sure.
1: And they kind of just gloss over the fact that Gandalf kills the great goblin, like a goblin king, which actually is like a really significant event in the, uh, you know, shifts the balance of power in the world, um, you know. And at the end of the, by the end of the Hobbit, of course, after the wars, uh, the Battle of the Five Armies, when they defeat the the goblins of the Misty Mountains, it actually you know cleanses that area to a significant degree and shifts the balance of power in a significant way, which will affect the way that um, the War of the Ring uh, plays out uh, in the Lord of the Rings. So none of that actually comes up in the story, but they just kind of Gandalf kills the great goblin and they move on. So there's all kinds of little nuggets like that in the Hobbit where... Really significant events are occurring, but in a playful way, and you don't appreciate their significance until you read The Lord of the Rings and Silmarillion, and then you look back on the events of The Hobbit and realize they actually were important events.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad that they included this because I feel like it could have easily been cut, but in lieu of the fact that it is actually an important event and, and does lead to the very end, the battle, the last, the Battle of Five Armies, um, I'm glad they kept it in there. And it adds another, you know, conflict where Gandalf again comes to the rescue. But they had to get lost in the goblin caves because Bilbo had to find the ring and meet Gollum. Which leads us to our next section, which is probably my favorite chapter in this entire book. Mine too. Riddles Mine too. in the dark. This is just a legendary chapter. So Bilbo is lost in the goblin caves when he stumbles upon a certain golden ring while he's groping in the dark which he um, immediately picks up and pockets saying, oh, this can be a souvenir to show the neighbors. That's what he says in the movie adaptation. Um, He shortly thereafter encounters the creature Gollum, who we have come to know and to love slash hate, Precious. So he's described as a small slimy creature paddling in a boat with feet um, in an underground lake. In this adaptation, he looks exactly like a salamander to me. Um, so <laughs> we get Gollum uh, coming up to Bilbo and uh, they encounter each other. Bilbo brandishes his sword. Gollum's kind of taken aback, but uh, they're both kind of feeling each other out and through this exchange, Gollum kind of promises to show Bilbo the way out if Bilbo can win a game of riddles. So if he wins, Gollum shows him the way out, but if he loses, Gollum is- says that he's going to eat Bilbo. Um, so what ensues is an exchange of riddles that uh, reveals so much about both Bilbo and Gollum as characters, um, their worldviews, their likes, their dislikes, their motivation. Um, this, is, this is really a battle of wits, and uh, it's a great scene. So they cut a lot of the riddles, but they included um, just a few, which are uh, the first one, which is Gollum's, is voiceless it cries, wingless flutters, toothless bites, mouthless mutters. Um, and the answer is wind, which Bilbo guesses. Um, and then the next riddle is Bilbo's, which is a box without hinges, key or lid, yet golden treasure inside is hid. So Gollum ga- guesses the answer, which is eggs. And then what happens instead of them continuing with the riddle exchange is that a disembodied voice, like a female disembodied narrator sings the next riddle. It cannot be seen, cannot be felt, cannot be heard, cannot be smelt. It lies behind stars and under hills and emptied holes it fills. It comes first and follows after, ends life, kills laughter. So the answer to that is darkness, but they have this, yeah, they have this funny section where instead of it being Gollum and Bilbo riddling to each other, this it, it's sung in this interesting way. I, I didn't love really, lo- I, Michael liked it. I didn't love it. I just think this scene is so telling and so important that I was kind of annoyed by this change. It worked for Michael. Um, but continuing on with the scene, um, they go back to, Gollum, after this disembodied voice, and Gollum says, this thing all things devours, birds, beasts, trees, flowers, gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal, slays king, ruins town, and beats high mountain down. Um, and Bilbo sort of, uh, by mistake, answers, time, time. Um, and the answer is time, but he's, he's begging Gollum for more time because Gollum's kind of rushing him and, and you know, wants to eat him. So uh, Bilbo asks Gollum, what have I got in my pocket for the next riddle? Gollum can't answer. Um, so he's, he says, okay, well, I have to show him the way out. But he goes to get his, his precious ring, uh, which will assist him in showing Bilbo the way out. And he realizes it's it's missing and he's thrown into a rage. Uh, he suspects Bilbo has found it. But before he can get to him, Bilbo slips it on, disappears, becomes invisible and is able to escape by following Gollum to the entrance of the caves. So there, there's a lot of differences between uh, this scene in the book and the scene in the movie. Overall, I think they did a pretty good job uh, characterizing Gollum. I think Gollum was pretty well done as this slimy... I love it. Uh, creepy creature he's very creepy uh <laughs> very creepy <He's, laughs> but
1: i think he's they- like a, he's like a frog mixed with a monkey he looks very i mean you said he looks like a salamander that's actually probably very accurate but when we were watching it we were like is this a frog monkey man i mean it looks really weird and then uh, i was watching it with amy and she's like it looks like old greg so yeah i, I don't know if <laughs> any of our listeners have seen the youtube video it's like an old bbc um short you know, clip, but. It, it's a second cave dweller yeah it's it's a hilarious thing look it up on youtube and apparently Gollum is old greg and that's totally spot on
0: it is it's spot on and i think um you know this this scene cannot be underscored enough i mean the finding of the ring and the using of the ring throughout is so important and he built the next several books off of this this moment and the ring becomes so important in bilbo's journey for the rest of the time and of course the writer's story and um gollum is such an iconic character and i am glad they got him right i think i think they got they characterized Gollum very well and um they did insert some modern language in here you know bilbo's like how convenient i'll follow the leader you know after he pops the ring on and and gollum Uh, leads him out and also there's like some very funky 70s sound effects when he slips on the ring there's like a like funny very 70s sound effect Um, and they also have Bilbo very cool calm and collected during this scene like it's no big deal yeah and in the book yeah he's pretty flustered he's fearful even though he's trying to keep it together and, and come up with riddles on the spot he's riddling to save his life and so in the book, he's he's uh, he manages, but he's pretty nervous. In this, he's he's a little too calm. So but those are some he, of the even big though
1: differences. He doesn't come off as flustered in the film. Gollum is so creepy that we as the audience are flustered. <laughs> it, it still comes across, right. you know, that this is a <laughs> scary interaction. This is a scary guy. And, you know, the the way Gollum is voiced is very different from Andy Circus. It's much lower, much throatier. Um, every... Syllable is enunciated like it—it it elevates at the end of the syllable. Like he's forcing the words out. It's like very aggressive, um you know, high, high tension delivery of every word. Yeah,
0: I'd say he's word. far less endearing in this adaptation. Like there's oh, something yeah. <laughs> really endearing about Gollum in the films, the the Peter Jackson films, and this yeah, one is, is lot just lot straight up creepy. Films.
1: you get yeah, you get Sméagol in the Peter Jackson films you get only Gollum in, in this adaptation. Uh, of- right. We don't know anything
0: about him really, but, but yeah. the, like I said, the poetry is revealing, um, you know, all of Gollum's poems are about um, pretty intense and dark or concrete subject matter.
1: They're all, um, all elemental things, right? I mean, wind,
0: right? dark,
1: time, um, Nothing. Right. I guess fish doesn't qualify as one of those things, but it's also, you know, fish is like the only thing that he encounters in his dark cave. It's <laughs> so part it's like, of his know,
0: world, his small yeah, they're world. Yes. they
1: from their world, and the only things that Gollum encounters are these dark elemental things like darkness, time, and fish. Um, wind isn't something he's encountered a long time. It's the only thing he can really remember from his past life. Whereas Bilbo's pulling, you know, t- talking about daisies and eggs and you know more nice everyday things.
0: Right. Exactly. Um, so this is a great scene. I think that it's hard to get this scene right, um, but they included, I think, the essentials of this scene. They And they spent the that.
1: most time on this scene. You know, more time on this scene than I think any other scene, except for maybe the scene with smog. They spent. most time on those two scenes which I think are the right two scenes to really stretch out on because they are the most interesting they have the most interesting dialogue and I'm glad they spent you know even though they did shorten it they did cut out some of the riddles they still spent more time on this scene than just about any other scene in the movie
0: right and and like you said these two scenes are really essential because you get to see Bilbo at his finest Bilbo's Mm -hmm. being clever and um, we get to see that there's so much more to him than just this simple little, you know, kind of poncy, simple hobbit. You know, he's he's actually um, quite clever and heroic. He's very heroic, and we'll get to that, the scene with Smog, But, um, so but yeah, I enjoyed watching this.
1: One, one change that, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about it. You know, tell me how you feel about it. But in the book, the way that he wins the riddle game, it's almost by accident. He can't remember, he can't think of another riddle. And so he kind of, he's got his hands in his pockets and he just thinks out loud to himself, what have I got in my pocket? Because he'd forgotten about the ring. He, he hits it in his pocket with, with his hands in there. And he just says it out loud, absentmindedly, not intending for it to be a riddle. Because of course it's not a riddle. It's a question. It does not, you know, comport with the rules of the riddle game. But
0: right. when,
1: when Gollum says, well, that's not fair, uh, Bilbo kind of rolls with it. So he accidentally asks this riddle that's not a riddle, but then rolls with it because he sees that Gollum's not, um, potentially gonna have a hard time with it. In the film, it's a little different. He sticks his hand in his pocket, feels the ring, and then intentionally asks this question as a riddle, or at least that's how I read it. It's not an unintentional blurting out of a question that he was thinking aloud to himself. He's actually asking this question which is basically a cheat he intentionally cheats to win the riddle game which maybe is important maybe isn't i i kind of feel like it's important um because and i'll tell you why it's important uh but first i want to get your reaction i mean how do you did you notice that did that bother you
0: yeah i noticed that and um it did kind of bother me in that like Bilbo throughout even though he it's the same it's probably the same reason it bothered you with the trolls because Bilbo has a, a degree of integrity a lot of integrity actually and um and the choices that the author made are very intentional um when it comes to regarding Bilbo's character and so I I do think that's a pretty significant change uh that he he kind of whether or not the question of whether or not he does that on purpose is pretty i think it is actually an important idea and i think you're right that's a good catch
1: right and I, i think there's a scene later in the movie and in the book where he says something to the effect of you know i'm a i'm a burglar but i like to think that i'm an honest burglar you know and that sort of sums up even though he's been assigned the role of a burglar he is a good character with integrity And that manifests itself throughout. And in this one scene, though, they change that so that he is cheating. And, you know, they made a similar change with the trolls where he kind of runs away. Um, And so that's one reason why I, I, I don't love it. But the second reason is there's a subtle thing, a subtle theme that shows up throughout The Hobbit, which is the importance of luck. Bilbo has an unusual amount of luck that sort of carries him through this story. He gets out of all kinds of scrapes um, in sort of inexplicable ways. And so people start to remark on how much luck he has. Gandalf says he has a lot of luck. Um, I think the dwarves remark on it. And later, uh, before he enters the mountain to go see Smog, he says, I'm beginning to trust my luck more than I used to. And that is sort of a theme that comes up uh, multiple times. And I think that this in the book the scene where he accidentally hits the ring and blurts it out and then that question sort of becomes the riddle that wins him the game that's that was luck manifesting itself I mean that was total chance that was not him being clever that was uh, something that was something fortuitous and they removed that and they I think they remove a lot of instances in this adaptation where luck helped him survive or succeed and they remove that. So you really don't have locker destiny have luck or
0: though. Luck or destiny, which we could get in Let's, let's exactly. we'll get into this conversation. You know, I think later and perhaps when we, perhaps in the next episode. But it's it's always a tension of was this fated or was this exactly. my luck? And they get into this. Gandalf and Bilbo get into this conversation in the end. Um, but that is that is like yes. one of the central tensions of the of the whole series is like was this fate? Was this always destined? Was this a result of my choices? Um, and so and so yeah, I I think you're getting at a really uh, main idea there and uh I think it was a poor choice and they maybe spent more time thinking about how they were gonna portray Gollum and how they're the heck they're gonna get Bilbo out of there than they did about like the specifics of this dialogue. But this dialogue's really, really important. And right. uh clearly Tolkien cared about um this exchange very deeply because it's a it's a pretty long scene and um some of some some great uh, language going on here. So uh, yeah,
1: a, a couple yeah. other little uh, changes that I noticed were when Bilbo has to flee when he realizes that Gollum is coming after him. You know, Gollum realizes he loses the ring. He's screaming. He's coming back. In the book, Bilbo kind of runs away and he stumbles and accidentally puts the ring on. And so Gollum's chasing after him, and Bilbo falls over in the dark and has the ring on. And because he accidentally slips the ring on, he's invisible. Gollum runs by him because at this point Bilbo doesn't know that the ring creates invisibility. So that's how he mm-hmm. accidentally discovers that the ring makes him invisible and it saves him. So that's another um, example of him of his luck saving him or his luck or fate, or fate
0: Michael. Luck, or, luck fate. or fate? Well, I mean. <laughs> Tolkien
1: refers to it as luck. He uses that word in The Hobbit, but I think he's absolutely talking about fate, and it ties into that larger theme of you know how your choices interact with fate, which is explored more deeply in The Lord of the Rings and also in the similarly mm-hmm. in large, you know, in The Hobbit because this is a children's tale. They use the term luck, and that's kind of the fun way of, of referring to it. But it is absolutely talking about you know exploring the theme of fate, and so but they changed that in. in in the movie adaptation he gets the ring he puts it on when he first finds it and oh wow i'm invisible and so he knows it the whole time and so when Gollum is coming after him he intentionally puts the ring on to make himself invisible to protect himself so that that's a change that sort of has that same problem
0: yeah it's sort of like every time they water something down i'm gonna have an issue so they're watering this down like oh kids we got to make this digestible let's make it real simple you know and I think that's a problem like we we always constantly underestimate children first of all and what they can digest this is a children's book this is a children's story he wrote it for his children he read it to his boys and um I think why why change stuff like that you know just yeah. just leave it as is like the closer we can I guess I'm a purist We're, color me a purist but <laughs> I think keep 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 stuff like that because it's like a, seems like a really minor thing, but it's really important actually. And so it, I think it would have cost them nothing to just leave this scene as it is instead of make these changes that they think will make it more digestible. Um, but in actuality, you're just watering down the story. So I have to agree yeah. with you.
1: And and speaking of watering down the story, there is a moment that is a really touching moment in the book when you know Gollum has thinks he's chasing after Bilbo. You know, Bilbo's put the ring on. He's disappeared. Gollum can't see him, so Gollum thinks that Bilbo has made his way to the back door. He he thinks to himself that that Bilbo actually did know the way out, and so Gollum, you know, makes his way to the back door with all due haste. Bilbo is like, "Great, I'll just follow you." So he's following Gollum. Gollum basically leads him unintentionally to the exit. And there's a moment in the book where Bilbo realizes, if I'm going to get out of here. I have to jump over Gollum because he's in front of me. He's by the door. Right. He's blocking the door. And in that moment, there's a moment where Bilbo looks at Gollum and feels so much pity. It's it's all in a flash, and he just but he sees a creature who is alone and who has lost the only thing he ever loved, and he feels a great surge. The of The pity of
0: Gollum out. stayed Bilbo's
1: hand. Yeah. Out, yes. As and, we know. It's, and It's and it's a beautiful moment because it's so touching. There's so much humanity there. You you know, we've spent this whole chapter. Um, Tolkien spent this whole chapter depicting this wretched creature and at the last moment he tells you well he's not totally wretched there's something to pity there um, there's something that was once good there and let's feel sad about it you know and then Bilbo gets over it and jumps over him and, and runs away you know we don't dwell on too much but Tolkien does make sure to insert that moment and I, I he doesn't kill him
0: it's... that's the thing yeah he has mm-hmm. mercy yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. I missed that whole escape they just kind of jumped to like and now was out of the cave and yeah so they, yeah, they skipped a lot. Uh, they, I think they got the meat, but they they left out some some key things.
1: They got the meat, left out the potatoes.
0: That's right. Boil, <laughs> well, mash, once... and stick them in a stew. Oh. <laughs> Well, I think that is all that we have time for today. So we're going to wrap it up. Please join us next time where we conclude our exciting conversation and analysis of the 1977 adaptation of The Hobbit. Um, If you've come this far, thank you so much for listening. We're certainly having a blast. And if you have any questions or comments or concerns you want to get in touch, please email us. Um, Michael, can you tell the listeners our email?
1: Sure, it's in the show notes somewhere. What is our email? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yellowtr at gmail.com. Oh, that's uh, this is smooth, man. So
0: smooth. <laughs> Super smooth. Yeah, please get in touch. Um, you can follow us on Twitter and you can listen to us on Podbeam or anywhere podcasts are found. So, thank you so much farewell and may the wind beneath your wings bear you to where the sun sails and the moon walks until next time
1: all right jen what do you got for me this week
0: well we both just read the hobbits the book and i thought it would be really fun to go ahead and test our knowledge do a little do a little trivia game so i'm going to ask you some three questions that i would i would categorize as on a scale of 1 to 10 in difficulty difficulty being 10 very difficult i would categorize as a, about a 5 so
1: you can't you can't set it up that way cuz then if i miss them <laughs> I'm gonna look like a dunce. I, I get stressed out. Okay, I get testing anxiety.
0: You're this such is, a liar. You're, you're a, breaking you're out. You're an attorney. Right now. You've taken so many tests in your life. <laughs> you're gonna be fine. You're gonna be great. We'll just scrap this whole thing if you fail, or not. You'll just be, I'll just have to find a new co host if you my, fail. My so the stakes are high. <laughs> and the prize is Street Cred, of course. So. Question, and you can ask me three as well. So question number one, drum roll. Who is the first dwarf to come to Bilbo's door at the beginning of The Hobbit? Hmm. <laughs> I will give you a hint. You can ask for a hint if you need one.
1: Um, I, I'm, I'm going with Balin.
0: Oh my gosh, you're so close. It's Dwollen. <gasps> I said I said close. You're so close, it's Dwollen. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? I'm just gonna give you that one, because that's not even fair. Okay. This next one's a little they get progressively trickier. What oh, is that?
1: You asked that was like the most ridiculous <laughs> word. I've ever heard.
0: Listen, I'm the one asking the questions. You're the one answering. All right. So Number let's... two. What is the first line of the hobbit? What is the very first line?
1: Oh, in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit.
0: Ding 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 ding. You got it. Ten points myself. for Gryffindor. Actually Go. Slytherin. I think your house Slytherin, but that's yeah, neither here nor there.
1: Fantasy worlds here.
0: I can be. do whatever I want. <laughs> I am the host of this show, co-host. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, question number three. What is the name of the What is your quest? Just kidding. What is the name of the chieftain who leads the orcs in the great battle at the end of the Hobbit?
1: Oh, uh, see, this is this would be tricky if I had recently watched the Peter Jackson version. Because it is not Azog, it is Bulg.
0: Oh my, holy! Okay, you do get street mad respect from me, yours, Julie. That's impressive. I don't know that I would have gotten that one. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you. So that's pretty good. That was pretty good. You get like a ninety percent. Pretty darn good. All right, two out of, all two right. Out I'm three, ready. Ninety
1: percent. I'm not sure that's how that
0: math. <laughs> I'm not sure that math <laughs> adds up. <laughs> you did a pretty good job. How about that? Ten points for Slytherin.
1: All right. So, I uh, okay, I got three questions for you. They're not limited to the Hobbit. We've been also <laughs> researching and rereading material related to the Second Age. So, I'm, I'm giving oh. you some I'm gi- <laughs> giving you some Second Age stuff. So, this is out of the Akalabeth.
0: Oh shit. Okay.
1: Okay. Now. Okay. In the days before and during Alfarazon's attempted assault on Valinor, the Valar sent great lightning storms to Numenor. In what shape did the storm clouds come? In the shape can of I... what animal?
0: An eagle.
1: Yes. Yes. You got <laughs> yes. it. Yes. Yes.
0: <laughs> Give me something hard to do, please.
1: Dude, that is, that that is, uh, okay, that's legit. Easy peasy
0: lemon squeezy. <laughs>
1: All right. Don't, don't get so cocky. All right. Take it easy. <laughs> All right, this is a related question. Uh, which of the Valar is credited as sending these lightning clouds?
0: It starts with an A. Aru. Aru.
1: Eru Iluvatar? Is that what you're guessing? You, you want to try again?
0: <laughs> I get them all confused. Does it start with A? It does not. Okay. do you I
1: want to just know. go down every letter of the alphabet
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's not Olmo because he's in the sea uh, right, this one
1: is uh, I'll give it to you it's Big Daddy Manway
0: Manway uh, yeah. okay shoot should have known that yep. Drat Confusticate my... and bother you Michael <laughs> that is a these, great
1: segment the Manway's lightning round okay
0: and I'm going to only answer with um, expletives from The Hobbit. That was from The Hobbit.
1: That, is, that would be pretty impressive. You,
0: you tosspot. That's also from The Hobbit. It's like full of delightful British insults, which yeah. I should make a list of. I love them so much. You okay. adder
1: cop? Adder cop?
0: Adder cop? Tom Nobby? What's, what's
1: an adder cop? Who's ever heard of that?
0: And it's a spider.
1: Apparently, Apparently it's spiders being an out of Okay. Question number three. This one is getting back to the Hobbit and this one is hard, but you have a lot of opportunities to get it right. Okay. In the opening sequence, when Bilbo first meets the dwarves, they come one at a time, sometimes in pairs. And when we're introduced to each dwarf, Tolkien goes to great lengths to describe their appearance they all have hoods of a different color, belts of a different color. So your challenge is, of the 13 dwarves, can you match just two? Just give me two dwarves and match them with the color of their hood.
0: Oh my god!
1: Just two out of 13. It's hard, but it's also kind of easy. Only two out of 13.
0: <laughs> okay. Seely and Keeley. And their hoods are... Purple?
1: Oh so so no. close. Because they are brothers, they do have the same color hood. You could have knocked him out in one punch, but no, theirs is not purple. Theirs is blue. What
0: color is it? Blue! Damn it! I knew it was of that hue. Alright, well, he's wicked, tricksy and false. <laughs> However, uh, we thank you all, and please do join us next week more trivia more hobbit more groovy hobbit talk
1: see y'all next time